Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 3, and, and uh, I just, I just want to say here at the beginning that I will always remember studying this passage for the, for the, when I first preached it, probably nine years ago. Um, it just gave me such an appreciation for godly, believing children. Um, it caused me to desire to honor um, godly and believing children and to, to, uh, to be careful to watch their example to me in what a godly life looks like. And so, for that, partly for that reason, I'm, I'm preaching this passage again, and I've been equally encouraged. So, Whenever we come to a text that discusses children obey your parents, it can be difficult for us in our culture and our time to hear that as something that, that is good, that is right, as Paul says, and that is, that is indeed, in fact, though I do use this word a lot, but it is indeed beautiful. And so I'm praying that the Spirit of God will open our eyes to see that. And, and in fact, as I will point out, this is not just for the children, because as I said, as the children live out this high and holy calling that God has placed on their lives, it, it is an example and a, uh, even a conviction, I believe, to all of us. It, it's, it's easy for us to say, perhaps, who are not living under the authority or the roof of our parents, it's easier for us to talk about obeying and honoring your parents but we're not in those shoes, are we? And we are in other shoes that we can all too easy, easily excuse ourselves from. So, as Paul talks about, he talks about wives being subject to your husbands. And, and slaves, he talks about in the same context, being subject to your, to your masters. And so, so, as we look at this with respect to the children, there are applications for all of us in terms of how we think about authority and how we think about uh, our, own, our own hearts and attitudes in this. So um, uh, we'll begin here. I, I, I guess I'm just rambling for a little bit, but I want to start just kind of by setting the scene. Um, the city of Ephesus was located, and still is located, on the east coast of the Aegean Sea, and I don't have a, a Aegean Sea. I don't have a map uh, here that might have been helpful, but it's the western shores of modern-day Turkey. And we might imagine a scene in this city in the year AD 60, something like the following, and I don't want to be too imaginative, but I think this is probably pretty, pretty likely, pretty accurate. It's Sunday, it's the Lord's Day, as it is today. We know that the church in the early days would have had to meet at the end of the day, because that's when people, the slaves, were released from their duties, and even even workers um, were off of a work. They didn't have necessarily Sundays off at that time. So, so they would be released from their duties at the end of the day, and now the Christians in Ephesus and this city are all gathering together, likely in a large upper room or some of some wealthy family. And on this particular night, there's a sense of anticipation um, the Apostle Paul, he had spent almost three years in this city. And we know a lot of times Paul would be moving. I don't know how long he stayed in every place, but three years was a lengthy amount of time 
to stay in one spot. And he himself had founded this church that's now gathering on this Lord's Day. Many of these Christians knew Paul personally because they were there when Paul was there. They were saved under his preaching, under his ministry. But there are also many here who've never met Paul. It's been five years in AD 60, if this letter comes to them then, then it's been five years since anyone last saw Paul, or at least since he was last in Ephesus. But on one of his journeys, um, his ship stopped at Miletus, about 50 miles south of Ephesus. And he didn't want to stop in Ephesus because he didn't want to get caught there. He, he had a place he had to get to, and he knew he couldn't just go to Ephesus and leave right away. So he went 50 miles away and sent a message and said, come over here, called the elders to him. And so the elders came, and when they returned back to Ephesus after meeting with him, they brought news from Paul that, that he would never see their faces again. And these are Christians who had learned to, to love Paul as their father in the faith and as, 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 an, as an apostle of Jesus Christ. They brought the news they would not see his face again, that the Lord had shown him that in every city, imprisonment and afflictions awaited him. It wasn't long after they got that news that Paul was imprisoned in Caesarea, and then he was transported to Rome, where he is now, at the time of this meeting of these Christians in Ephesus, he is currently in prison awaiting his appeal before the emperor. And now this Christian brother named Tychicus, that um, you, you didn't send letters via the postal service if they were precious letters. And you wanted to make sure that, that they got to their intended recipients. And so Paul sends a letter to this church that, that, that he has started and founded by his brother Tychicus. Tychicus arrives in Ephesus with this letter from the Apostle Paul and now gathered in this meeting room to hear Paul's letter read, there are husbands and there are wives. There are parents and there are children. There are masters and there are slaves. And they're all one in Christ. They're all part of the one body of Christ. And yet, they are all in different spheres and places and roles in life according to God's sovereign determination. This is the way God has put it together. And so, so we have this beautiful reality that people of all different classes, of male and female, um, of masters and slaves, of old and young, they're all gathered together without distinction at one level as the body of Christ. And yet, even as Paul affirms that, he addresses each distinct group according to their unique calling and role that God himself has has given to them according to his sovereignty. There were many things in this letter that were deep for, for them, maybe deeper for some of the children, the younger children at least, than for some of the older ones, um, challenging to understand. But Paul said that he prayed that the children as well as the adults, that everyone's eyes would be opened to understand, not just in their heads, but to understand believingly by faith, that they would lay hold of it in trust, to understand all that God has done in revealing his love through Christ, that they might know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, he says. 
That's, that was his longing for the children as much as for the parents, as for, the, for the masters as much as for the slaves and for every, every group. After about the first half of the letter, Paul shifts his focus then to emphasize a little more concretely how we should be living every day in the light of the, of the sphere in which God has placed us. Um, how, how beautiful this is. Isn't it so beautiful? in light of our world that will not respect the spheres that God has placed us in, the ways that he has created us. It is, it is a beautiful thing to be able to embrace this. And at the same time, even though as a church we may recognize how crazy things are getting, I, I cannot help but see that, that in the church there has, there has been an incredible failure to celebrate what it is to be a wife, what it is to be a husband, what it is to be a child, and what it is to be a father. Sometimes it honestly feels to me hopeless. And I I know it's never hopeless because of God's power, but it feels that way to me. For the church to really see and to grasp the wisdom of God's plan and how he has put the family together and called us to function in our respective roles. And I pray that God will enable us to grasp and see the wisdom of that this morning. Again, to you children, I want to honor you children this morning. I want to honor you, not, as, not in the honoring of that belongs, of course, to our Creator, to God, but honor to whom to whom honor is due. And when I, see, when I see a child living out and displaying the beauty and the wisdom of God's plan, I believe there's honor due there. Um, and what a beautiful thing it is. So, first Paul then directly addresses the wives. And I think this is a beautiful thing. He, he, does, not, he does not say to the husband, see to it that your wives are doing this, does he? He says, wives. He, he, he talks to the wives. Then he addresses the husbands in attendance in the meeting. And then since there were children there, he does not speak to the parents first and, and he does not tell you parents, tell, tell the parents, see to it your children obey you, although they, they do need to do that, you know, but, but he, he says, he talks to your children. He, he just goes right to you. And then after the children, he speaks directly, directly to the fathers and then to the slaves and then to the masters. This morning we're going to listen to Paul's instructions to the children. Now when Paul, when Paul speaks to children, we, we hear that word and we think of, I don't know, what age children stops, you know, when we hear the word. But he's speaking to all children living under the authority of their parents. Um, irrespective of, of age. So this is not just younger children, it's all children of whatever age living under the authority of their parents. And at some level, that looks like living under their roof. And, and again, I'm not, we can't spell it all out. There's dynamics here. Um, we, maybe we could say sons and daughters. Sons and daughters um, is the expression for children here. Now, the dynamics of this obedience will, of course, look different at different times and different ages. But what I want us to see is that the principle of this obedience 
And what is the principle of obedience? The principle that underlies obedience is being subject to. Being subject to one's parents. Now that's always the same, no matter what age you are, as long as you're under that authority, it's the picture of being subject to the authority of your parents. And just like there were sons and daughters in that room in Ephesus 2,000 years ago, no different than the sons and daughters here, there are sons and daughters here gathered in this room. But again, I want to emphasize, I want to emphasize so strongly that this message, while it is for the sons and daughters, for the children, while I will address you, the children, you directly, uh, that's, a, that's a part of the way I want to honor you, is by addressing you. Um, at the same time, this message is for all of us. His words, Paul's words, have a certain application to all of us because, in fact, children who listen to these words and live them out are powerful examples of the godly and holy lives that all of us are called to be living. So children, don't worry about your parents sitting there saying, I hope he's listening to this, I hope she's listening to this, because they're not thinking that. I told them not to think that. Okay, I'm not thinking it for my kids' sake. <laughs> I'm not thinking it. I look at what my children are called to, and I tremble at that calling. And then I recognize, what is the calling of God on my life? So this is the approach that we will have. By God's grace. Paul begins in the first verse of chapter 6. Children, sons and daughters, obey your parents. I mean, we could start out by just saying that we recognize we we are living in a fallen world just when we hear those words. Because either those words are utterly hopelessly outdated, or our culture has completely gone by the wayside. What happens when we, though, hear those words? And we don't need our culture because, you know, we we have a tougher time today, but sin is always the same. So we had the same issues in Paul's day. What happens when we hear these words, children, obey your parents? Perhaps we can all remember. Perhaps we can all of us remember. Do they, do they irritate? Do they grate on us at all? There's a point perhaps where inside we say, yes, I already know that. Don't tell me that. I already know it. Everyone knows that. Even if, even if we don't usually mind obeying our parents, because I don't want to plant anything. You know, I don't want to create anything. I know I don't need to do that. I know the sin that is common to us all. So even if we don't usually mind obeying our parents, maybe we're good kids, which is generally what we do, and I love my parents. My parents are great. So. But to hear those words or to be given that instruction, that's when it can sometimes get a little irritating. All of us here can still feel the same way, just in different contexts. What is your context? What are the authorities in your life that God has called you to be subject to? 
But I would say that just because this feeling is universal, and I'll, I know it's universal because the Bible tells me it is. We'll see that in a minute. It doesn't mean that it's excusable on the one hand. But more importantly, it doesn't mean there's not another way. And that other way is what I want to celebrate this morning. So how can we hear these words? Listen to these words again. Children, obey your parents. How can we hear those words and respond in your handout with a willingness and even a gladness? Now that, I mean, I'm serious. I'm actually serious about that. And I'm talking about a willingness and a gladness even when it's like really difficult and really hard. How can we do that, especially when our parents are flawed and sinful? How is that really possible? Now, that is not a rhetorical question. Because as I'm going to quote Calvin a little bit later, he says, one thing, one thing that the human heart rebels against is subjection. It's every single one of us. It's, it's me. It's all of us. Children, obey your parents. And how, how is this possible then? Children, obey your parents. This is the answer. Paul's answer is this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now those are wonderful, wonderful words. And this is one of the ways that Paul honors the children in the room. And, and because he addresses them as equal heirs of grace. He doesn't address the children, and this is something that I think at cer- in certain generations has happened, where, where, where children are, are somehow treated somehow less than full and equal heirs of the body of Christ. And Paul does not do that. He addresses the children directly. He comes to you and he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. The first thing that tells us then is that Paul is speaking specifically to you children who have been born again. Or, or we could also say born from above as God's own sons and daughters with your parents with your believing parents, with me, right? With all of us sitting here in this room. In other words, even though all children everywhere in the world are to obey their parents, and I'm not dealing here with when your parents tell you to go hit your brother, right? Um, So Paul doesn't deal with that either here, so I'm going to leave that out. But um, Paul is talking here specifically, not to all children everywhere, He's speaking to you children who have, in his own words here in this letter that we've just been reading, if we were sitting here reading the whole letter, he's speaking to you who have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and have believed. That's who he's talking to. And of course, if you haven't believed, he's calling you to believe. And because you've truly believed, now who are you? You are, as he again uses the language in his letter here, you are in Christ. You are in the Lord. This is who you are. This is Paul celebrating this reality. And because you are in the Lord, this, he is writing to you 
for whom he also prayed in chapter 1. This is the same one for whom he prayed in chapter 1, as we read in prayer meeting this morning, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened and that you may know what is the hope of God's calling on your life. This is what Paul's writing to you, children, as well as everyone else in the room, the fathers and the mothers and the husbands and the wives and the masters and the slaves. But now he's, he's zeroing in on you. That you may know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. This is his heart for you. Paul's writing to the same children, sons and daughters in the room, for whom he prayed in chapter 3, that God would give you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, the inner self, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This was Paul's heart for the believing children, and that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints the love of Christ. This is the only reason Paul can have confidence in writing what he writes now. Children, obey your parents. Here's the key. In the Lord. Paul knows that we're all born into this world with a craving A literal craving, literally a craving for what we might call freedom. The right for me to do as I see fit without being in subjection to someone else. And what that fundamentally, if we trace it down deeper, it goes to that fundamental craving to be not in subjection to even God. It's the craving to do as I want. Paul knows this, and so he knows that disobedience to parents, even to sinful and flawed parents, is really just the inevitable expression of the craving that we all have from birth. So this is a window into my heart. And again, this is where we all were at one point. He writes in another place in Romans chapter 1, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. And then we have this disobedient to parents. 2 Timothy 3 Verses 1 to 2, Paul talks about the last days, and he was living in the last days, and if he was living in the last days already, we're living in the last days now, that's for sure. He says, understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. So we see that, again, disobedience to parents is listed with a whole bunch of other sins, which is the sign that disobedience to parents isn't the ultimate problem. It's, I got to go deeper. As with any of these kinds of sins, I have to go deeper into my heart and ask God to like do that work of revealing and exposing what's there. The real battle is the craving for independence to be my own boss, to do as I see fit. And it's one thing, I, how many of us, maybe if we're Christians, we say, like, oh, I love to have God for my boss. He's, he's perfect. And, but you know what? At the end of the day, sin, makes, sin means I don't want him for my boss either. I don't want him either. I don't want authority. 
even if it's God's. And this, is, this is what Jesus came to give us the solution to. This is his, this is his work that he needs, I need him to do in my heart as he calls me to genuinely submit and surrender myself to be, place myself in subjection to his authority in my life. And however that authority is manifested. I assume we can all identify with this. And the reason that this problem is so serious is because it sits at the very heart of our sin nature, of my sin nature. So children, I'll address you again. Know this about yourselves. Just know this about yourselves. It's just, just know this. You were born into this world with an innate, innate resistance to the very idea of obedience. So were we all. Let's just call it out. Let's just say it. Paul knows this, and that's why he says to you children who have placed your faith in Christ, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Those, that's the gospel in three words right there, in the Lord. And so it takes the law of children obey your parents, it takes the law, which is only, is, only, um, is only minister's death because of the sin within me. Obey your parents is not some bad law. It's not some law that God only put in there because he had to. It's a good thing. Um, unfortunately, now we have parents who are, who are, are sinful and flawed as well. Um, But when Paul says, children, obey your parents, and we have all the mess surrounding all of that, and then he adds those words, in the Lord. That breathes gospel into this. Children, this isn't just some outward duty you have to buckle down and force yourselves to fulfill. It's not that. And so I want to call you to see this, by God's grace, as something amazing Obeying your parents is the way for you of living out and working out this amazing reality that you are a new creation in Christ. So this whole thing of obeying your parents, it's your chance. It's your chance of working out the reality that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. This is the same thing that we see and God's calling upon husbands, and God's calling upon wives, and the other relationships that we could talk about. So I would ask the parents, parents, are we listening? And are we amazed? I stand amazed at this high and holy calling that God has given to my children. And that God has given to all of the sons and daughters in this room. I would ask this, are we instructed? Are we edified? Are we convicted by the example of our believing children? I would would address wives as you consider what it means to be in subjection to your husbands. Are you then also edified, encouraged, and convicted by the example of your believing children and their being in subjection to you? Is this something that that encourages you in that? Children, 
what you need to remember is that the Apostle Paul didn't just now start talking to you. It wasn't like he wrote this letter to all of the parents in the room and all the... And then he said, oh yeah, now let me just throw something in there for, for the children. No, he's been writing to you since the first verse of this letter. This has all been for you who are in the Lord. I mean, he, go back and, and read the letter. It's been to you. And it's been in that light now that now Paul turns to address you and says, now, in the light of all this and the way to live all this out in your life, children, where, where has God placed you now? In what context are you living? For a time, you will not always be in this context. But now you are. And so now in this place, you can live all of this out by living this relationship with your parents, obedience to your parents. He's talking to you as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Nothing could be more honoring than this, than this instruction. When we go back and read chapter 5, verses 15 to 17, which Paul was writing for the sake of the sons and daughters in the room, we see that Paul understands your relationship with your parents. Because it's one of the key elements of your existence, right? One of the key elements of my existence is my relationship to my wife and, and to my children. So that, that, that is so, that my, my Christianity is very much bound up in, in the living out of those relationships. And so Paul understands your relationship with your parents to be one of the main contexts for living in your handout wisely as a child of God, understanding what the will of the Lord is and being filled with the Spirit. To obey your parents in the Lord means that your obedience to your parents is given ultimately to Jesus Christ himself. Now that reality will only have an attraction for you, will only look good to you, if you love Jesus. When you obey your parents, not just because you feel you have to or you have no other choice, when you obey your parents, particularly when it's difficult and when the sinful flesh is rising up within you, when you obey them willingly as a sign of your devotion to Jesus, do you know what Jesus does? Because this is what he says he does. He receives your obedience to your sinful and imperfect parents as obedience given to him who is sinless and perfect. We talk we talk about God and wanting to be in submission to him as long as submission to him doesn't involve submission to someone else. Wives speak talk of this, children and and certainly Husbands, in and, and whatever ways that they are called to be in submission. I would love to talk. I've thought about just doing a little mini-series on these relationships, going back and revisiting these messages. Because um, husbands, yeah. Um, it's all so good. It's all so beautiful, and yet, and yet it's all so lofty and beyond what we can achieve apart from the Spirit of God working in us. What we see then is that your obedience to your parents, children, is a sign of your exalted status as a son or a daughter of God. Uh, We were all born into this world with a sinful craving for independence. 
to be our own boss, to do as we see fit, especially, particularly, right, when those in authority over us either are or appear to us to be wrong or misguided. But now your obedience to your parents is one of the powerful and even supernatural evidences that you are a fellow heir with your parents. See, that's what's so cool. As you, you see this thing that the world cannot wrap its mind around. And for that matter, much of the church can't wrap its mind around. But may God help us to do that. Here we have this reality that obedience to parents is a sign of equality with parents. At different levels, right? Obedience to parents, being in subjection to parents, there's not equality there, is a sign of that ultimate equality before the throne of God between, in the one body of Christ. What a miracle that is. It's a sign then that you have equal access with your parents to the throne of grace. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, Paul says, for this is right. I love that all of us like to ask why. We've been asking that since we were, could talk, right? And we want to know the reason. Give me the reason. And I hope it'll be a good one. And I'll be the judge of whether it's a good reason or not. So, to the question, why should I obey my parents? Paul answers, for this is right. Now, there are many children, and there's a whole lot of human beings, period, who are never, ever going to be satisfied with that answer. But here's the thing. For all those children who are in the Lord, it's what's right. There's a, there's a, there's a ring to that word. Even though I could say that here, but tomorrow, when I'm in this certain circumstance, what's right is not going to have any ring to me at all, right? But, but deeper down, maybe if, if, I, if I look at it, it does. It's what's right that matters more to me than anything else in the world. It's what's right that holds a special attraction to me now. Remember that Paul was speaking equally to the children, to the sons and daughters, when he wrote these words in chapter 5. For you were once darkness, children, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light, because your parents are children of light too. You're all children of light. For the fruit of the light is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, carefully working to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. This is what we love. It's, it's not about my desires. It's not about my pleasures. What do we love as Christians who are in the Lord? We love to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And that's no less the job of believing children than it is of believing parents. Sometimes I think children think, well, I have to be a Christian because I'm just, that's just, I have to do it. Right? No, you don't. Right? That, that's something that the reality of this is something that no parent can force upon a child. I'm, I'm going to the heart here. What we're, talking about, what we're talking about is the children's high and holy calling as new creations in Christ. And so Paul is calling children to carefully work to discern experientially and by faith the rightness of this command. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Paul says in Colossians, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Sometimes we say, well, how do we discern what the will of the Lord is? Right? Well, Paul isn't talking about figuring out the facts when he says, 
working to discern. He's talking working to discern it experientially as you living out that will of the Lord. We know what the will of the Lord is. In this case, is that you obey your parents in everything. This pleases the Lord. It's the simple knowledge that can give you who are in the Lord strength in your handout and courage to obey, even when it is difficult. Reflect on that. It is pleasing to the Lord. What, a, what an encouragement and strength that can be to you. When Paul says, for this is right, he certainly assumes this is one of those laws that everyone is aware of deep inside. So everyone knows, without needing the Bible at, this, at a certain level, <laughs> or anyone else to tell them, you didn't need me to tell you today this, right? That it's right for children to obey their parents. That's just kind of there. We know it. And it's right because this is the will of God, because it's what pleases the Lord. We know this because it's one of the Ten Commandments that God wrote God wrote with his own finger in the tablets of stone. So now Paul actually quotes that commandment in verse 2. Honor your father and mother. To truly obey is to honor. And to truly honor is to obey. True obedience isn't just outward conformity or compliance. And we know that, of course, but, but let's meditate on that. Let's, 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 let's ask ourselves what this means. It's not just doing what my parents say, and I hope that's not what parents are ever satisfied with. That's not what our goal is. It's just to get, you know, yes people. Although that's, that's there, but that's not our heart. Right, whatever this looks like at different ages, again, whatever it looks like at different ages, while inwardly, it's not just doing what they say, while inwardly I'm resisting and maybe full of, of anger, how can that be when I'm obeying my parents in the Lord? There, there it is. And as a sign of my devotion to Christ. What a high calling, children, you have been given. As a fellow heir of eternal life with your parents, God calls you to something greater and more wonderful than just doing it. Even let's say you're a great, you're, you know, you know let's say you're just a, just a very, you, you have no problem obeying your parents, doing what they say, going along with the plan, the program, right, whatever. But at the end of the day, take that and make it the expression of your devotion to Jesus. Make it the encouraging reality for you that, wow, you see, you're a new creation in Christ. True obedience in the Lord means honoring my parents from the heart, in thought, in word, and in deed. And that is something supernatural. Your high and your holy calling is to an obedience and honor that characterizes every aspect every aspect of your relationship with your parents in everything. So we read in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 3, every one of you shall revere or fear. The word is fear. We could say revere. I just want to point out that it is not respect. This is not respect. When the Bible translates uh, this word with respect, when translators do that, they're wrong. It's just not right. 
It's a sign that we have been caught up in our culture. So this idea of revering children, revering your parents, Paul says in Ephesians 5, wives ought to revere their husbands. This is a different, and we could talk about this more, but there's a different reality here. Revere, here's the thing. You can't respect someone who's not worthy of respect. That's impossible. Respect is given to those who deserve it. So when Paul says, wives, respect your husbands, that's impossible. If your husband is not worthy of respect, you cannot respect him. Respect is something given to those who have earned it and deserve it. So it's important that we see the gospel reality in the fact that Paul says, wives, revere your husbands. Because that's not something dependent on their worthiness. It's something bound up with your relationship with Christ. That's the beauty of it. So that's why when, when we have here children revere your parents, it's, it's not looking at them as, well, they're so perfect and right, and I better respect them because they got everything together and they're better than I am. That's not what it's about because they're not going to be that all the time. You're to revere your parents because it's bound up with your relationship with God. And again, it's a different... We know, obviously, we don't, we don't revere our parents in the way we revere God. It's bound up with that. Back in verse 21, when Paul introduced the theme of submission, he said, submitting to one another in the fear, the same word for revere, the fear of Christ. And so just as wives are to fear or reverence their husbands in the fear of Christ, so also children, your holy calling, your holy calling is to obey and honor your mother and your father in the fear of Christ. As an expression of your reverence for Christ, your parents are not your mediators to Christ. You don't have some go-between between you and Christ. You, Christ has called you into relationship with himself. And, so that, and, and now he calls you within that relationship to live holy in the earthly relationships in which he has placed you. In the end, this is the only way to live out true biblical submission to your parents. You can only be enabled to obey and honor your parents in the true fear of Christ. Without the fear of Christ, you cannot do it. And so when I see, when I see children, when we see children who are not fearing and honoring and obeying their parents, it is inevitably the expression of the absence of the fear of Christ. To put it another way, you can only obey your parents truly in the Lord. And isn't that obvious all the more when we remember that all parents are also sinners? I've said this before, but there have been an, how many, I can't count the times, when I've been talking to people and maybe there's a relational issue or trouble or problem. And, you know, and I'll hear it from, from, from maybe one par- party and, and I'll be like, yeah, how, how can you possibly do what God has called you to do? And given the other situation. That's impo- How can I call you to oh, actually live out the scriptures? <laughs> Isn't that the whole point of the Holy Spirit living within us, who ena- enables us to do the impossible? What is only supernaturally enabled? How many of us as Christians have relegated our life to that which we are able to do in the flesh, and excused ourselves for not doing the things that are only possible in the Spirit of God and His power that is at work within us? Parents will at times 
abuse their authority. And I'm talking about even in small and subtle ways. As parents, I would venture to guess that often we don't even know the ways that we're in subtle ways um, using our authority wrongly or, or using it in ways that are exasperating to our children as, as Paul addresses the fathers. Children, even then, and boy, I tremble to say it, even then, your holy calling as children is the same. Because you too have been filled with the Holy Spirit. This calling is to honor your parents not because of their worthiness, not because of their own intrinsic worthiness, but rather because of the worthiness of Christ. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And I ask again, parents, did you hear, did you hear that? Did you hear what I just said? Are you amazed at this high and holy calling that God has given to our children? Are you instructed? Are you edified? And are you even convicted by the example of our believing children? Calvin writes, The human mind recoils from the idea of subjection and with difficulty allows itself to be placed under the control of another. Experience shows how rare this virtue is, for do we find one among a thousand that is obedient to his parents? And when we remember that obedience includes honor, I wonder if Calvin was understating the case. We might say one among ten thousand. So children... One who honors and obeys his parents shines brilliantly. So then who is the child that truly obeys and honors parents? He is nothing less than God's new creation, born again as God's own son and daughter through faith in Christ. We therefore see that the only place true freedom in your handout, true freedom is found, is in a free and glad submission to Christ. Honor your father and mother. And then Paul interrupts his quotation, so he can introduce the next part of the quotation. He says, this is the first commandment with a promise. He points that out specifically. In order that it may be well with you and that you may live long upon the earth. So if you, if you weren't satisfied, which I trust that we were, with, for this is right, that's enough. Now Paul adds on this wonderful hope and promise. It's the first commandment with a promise, which shows how important it really is. Jesus reminded his listeners in Matthew 15, God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. I point out again, Paul and the whole Bible talks in in absolutes, in black and white. You're either honoring your father or your mother actively, or Paul pictures you reviling your father or mother. And we, we ought not to comfort ourselves with some middle ground. We ought to be pursuing this, right? In Israel, the punishment appointed by God, and again, this is, none of us would be, you know, we could say, the children might say, oh, how often do I have to hear that they killed children who were, you know, there's a death penalty if you reviled. Well, how many of us would have made it out of childhood, right, if this, if this was, right, consistently applied? In Israel, the punishment appointed not for just any old disrespect, they disrespected, but for a child who belligerently dishonored and rebelled against his parents consistently would not listen to reproof or, or instruction, it was death. That shows you the seriousness of this. 
But even when the law failed to carry out that punishment, God saw. And the only thing that that child, as with any other one who walks in unrepentant sin, could expect from God was his judgment and displeasure. So, which is to say the absence of his blessing. And the same is true today. Proverbs chapter 20, if one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. Paul says that along with all sorts of other people, and as with many other kinds of sins, those who practice disobedience to parents, he says, are, quote, worthy of death. This is a big deal. And yet for all those children who are in the Lord, and who are therefore seeking to obey their parents in the Lord, the curse is replaced with blessing. The warning is replaced with a promise. This is, I love, I think Paul must have been so excited to speak this to the children. Honor your father and mother in order that it may be well with you, and you may live long upon the earth. Right? When, he was, when the original context of that was in, in Deuteronomy or in Exodus, that long life and that well-being was living long in the land of Canaan. But now there are Christian children in the Lord everywhere in the world, so the promise applies wherever you're living. And the point isn't that you'll never suffer and you'll never die an early death. The point is that you will never, ever experience those things as the expression of God's judgment. Let me put it this way, okay? Paul says in one of his letters, he wants the wives to bear children and keep house. And, and then he talks about the fact that they will be preserved, they will be saved. Women will be saved through the bearing of children if they continue in sanctity and love and self-restraint. And what Paul is saying there is that, look, the calling of God generally upon a woman's life is, is to raise up children in the home. And so that's, that's a generally, that's the picture of what's going on. And what he's saying is that within that sphere, you are going to be working out your salvation. And so you're saved not by that, not by the raising of children. And, and again, we recognize, I mean, some, some women don't even marry. So this is, this, is, this is a general picture. But we have this picture of within my sphere that God has called me to, I am working out my salvation by God's grace who works within me according to his good pleasure until that day when I am fully saved, right? When I have been glorified in the presence of God. And so also for children, you are living out now, when you are living out your Christianity in relationship with your parents, you are working out your salvation until it is consummated in glory. Never will you experience the judgments of God, which are for those outside of Christ. You will know his blessing, his favor. This is true for all Christian children, but there's a unique application for Christian children who have Christian parents. The ultimate goal of this command to honor and obey your parents is that you might learn, to use Paul's language, learn Christ. Parents, are we listening? Because if that's the goal, then what does that say about my calling and my responsibility before God? How should that be impacting every single aspect, literally every single aspect of 
what it means to be parents and how we go about that from day to day. The father speaks to his son in Proverbs chapter 6. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. Paul goes on to say in the next verse, here in Ephesians 6, Fathers, bring your children up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And so in your handout, the goal of obeying and honoring my parents in everything is that I might heed their instruction and learn Christ and grow up in true godliness. And as Paul says in another place, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So from my heart, from my heart, I want to say to all of you children here who are in the Lord, who are my fellow heirs with Christ, who are, who are equal with me before the throne of grace, I want to say to all of you children, be encouraged and be full of joy. I, I pray that you could be that as you obey and honor your father and mother, it will be well with you. And you will know the blessing of God upon your life. What a privilege for me to just say that to you. Not upon my own authority, but the authority of God's word. Every human being has broken the fifth commandment. All of us have dishonored and disobeyed our parents, everyone except Jesus. And our failure to obey our parents is proof positive that we're born into this world in sin. By nature, children of wrath. What that means then is that in the eyes of a holy God, every one of us as a child who was ever disobedient to our parents deserves death. You know, in, in Israel, again, you weren't put to death for, for minor uh, offenses. But when it comes to God who looks at the heart, that was in Israel. It was a nation. When it comes to God who looks deep into our hearts, he sees that disobedience, that rebellion. And all of that then is deserving of death because it's the expression of that deeper down craving for independence, even from God himself, for all the lip service we give to subjection to God. When it comes right down to it, we'll do what we please and what we want. That's what's in our hearts, deep down, apart from the transforming work of God and making us a new creation. And we still have it. But God, we feel the weight of our sin and of the law And then we hear the gospel, which is this, but God is full of mercy and steadfast love. And so the very law that condemns me, that very law is meant to bring me to Christ, where I find forgiveness and cleansing and pardon full and complete. And so to all those in this room who are still under the authority of your parents, I ask you, first of all, have you repented of your sin and believed and trusted in Christ? It's the same word that needs to come to every single one of us equally, right? And if you have, then this is what the Bible says about you. You are a new creation. In Paul's language in Ephesians chapter 2, 
You are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus, that's you, for good works. And you know what those good works are? Among those good works is obeying and honoring your parents. That's one of the amazing good works that you can do every day, is the obeying and honoring of your parents. And these, by the way, are good works which God himself has prepared for you beforehand so that you should walk in them. And so now the law that was once a burden, that once condemned me, can be my delight. Now, one of the surest signs that you are truly one of God's children, one of the truest signs that you're truly one of God's children being remade into his image is that you're a child who obeys and honors your father and your mother from from the heart. And oh, parents, how can we not hear this and feel the calling upon us to be who God has called us to be? Now, though you'll never be without sin, sons and daughters, this side of heaven, the Apostle Paul can write to you. And you can hear these words, not with irritability, not grating on you, but, but with an embracing of them. Children, sons and daughters, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, This is the first commandment with a promise. In order that it may be well with you. And you may live long upon the earth. And in this holy calling that you have. You can always set before you the pattern and the example of Jesus himself. In whose footsteps you're walking. Before I read that verse. I just want to challenge 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 you that if you're claiming what what John said in in 1 John, he said, whoever claims to love God and hates his brother, he's a liar and the truth is not in him. Whoever claims to be subject to God and does not honor and obey his parents is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever does honor and obey his parents proves that he is, in fact, the true child of God. Jesus went down from Jerusalem with his father and mother and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Jesus sanctified childhood as he sanctified adulthood. He sanctified what it meant to be sons and daughters. And so he sanctified submission. (laughs) He made it possible for us. He increased in wisdom and in stature. And as he submitted and continued his objection to his parents in favor with God and man. To those in this room who are still under the authority of your parents. I'm speaking to you and your parents are not thinking, oh, I hope. No, no, they're listening kind of in the same way for their own lives now. But to you, I say, may you be a powerful example to me and to all of us of the godly and holy lives that we are all of us, all of us called to be living. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we confess that 
due to the influence of our own innate sinfulness and due to the influence of the culture around us, both within and without the church, we, we struggle with these things. And yet we also know and confess by faith that the very things we struggle with, and that sometimes we can tend to even hate in our flesh, those are the very things that we know are good and right and even beautiful. Yes, in fact, lovely. Help us, Lord, to see these things. Help us to rejoice in the beauty of your plans. And Lord, we thank you that as we live in this fallen world with fallen children and fallen parents, fallen parties in every relationship, that it is your Holy Spirit who lives within us, who is recreating us as new creations in Christ. It is this reality that enables us to do what would otherwise be impossible. And not only enables us to do it, but to walk triumphantly in the principles and plan that's revealed in your word. So I pray thou for all of those sons and daughters, of all of those children who are still under the authority of their parents, that they, that they would sense the high and the holy calling that you have upon their life and the way that you have, in this time in their life, given them to live that out as a light to all of us. And help us all as we, as we look upon this calling and we see how high and holy it is. Let this do its also its work in us, that you might be glorified in every way, whatever our calling in life, wherever our sphere is in which you have placed us. And we thank you that in the end, we are all of us, in all of our different spheres, according to our different roles, we are all of us living out the same faith, sharing in the same baptism, eating now of the same meal together. Not one of us, whether a parent or child or rich or poor or whatever else, not one of us having any greater of a claim upon a spot before your throne of grace. Or a place at your table. Lord help us to understand these things. Give us wisdom. And we pray these things now. And ask that you help us to just prepare our hearts. To take of this wonderful meal together. In Jesus name. Amen.